Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, artificial intelligence will teach you how to embrace it. I'm more concerned about us deciding the juice is not worth the squeeze and just not pursuing the use of machine learning. But I think that would leave a lot of great social opportunities on the cutting room floor. Chuck Howell is Chief Engineer for Intelligence Programs at MITRE. He has a unique perspective on the opportunities that our region has to apply artificial intelligence machine learning to grow the economy and also to help the nation. Chuck, I know that uh, from your perspective, pulling together technologies and looking at technologies in this area, you think the D.C. region has a unique opportunity here. Yeah, I sure do. And I'll give just one example that I think sort of illustrates it. Uh, the last couple of years, the uh, Association for the Advancement of Artificial Intelligence has held a series of workshops in the, in Virginia. It's a national one. They do it every fall in in Virginia, and we've uh, uh, IBM and MITRE have co-sponsored two years of a uh, cognitive assistance in government workshop. And our three keynote speakers at this last one, one was Ed Felton from the government, uh, one was a uh, MITRE officer, Mark Mayberry, uh, so that's a .org, and then Guru Banavar, senior vice president at IBM.com, and the participants were a broad mix of government, industry, education, and, and FFRDC.orgs. Uh, so we'll come back to that cross-pollinization theme in a moment because I think it's an important one, but I don't want to lose the thread here. MITRE is an interesting organization and indicative of, I think in some ways, an underappreciated resource here in the D.C. region. Tell those of us who don't know what it is, what MITRE is and why it's relevant in this conversation. Sure. Um, MITRE is uh, an organization, we're not-for-profit. We manage seven federally funded research and development centers, which uh, are specially chartered to support the federal government. We're chartered in the public interest, which means, among other things, we're prohibited from creating products for sale or competing with private industry for services. Um, and that gives us an opportunity to have a, a position, sort of a bridge between the private sector and government. Um, and MITRE has the luxury or the opportunity to work across a broad range of government because these seven centers support government agencies as diverse as the intelligence community, the DOD, the FAA, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, IRS, Judiciary, et cetera. So what we give, that gives us an opportunity to, to see where technology is advancing, how it connects up with government opportunities and challenges, where the gaps are, and, uh, and at our... Uh, at least sometimes, gives us the opportunity to take lessons learned from one sector, for example, healthcare, and and adapt it and apply it to the intelligence community, for example. And I think that that may be where the biggest opportunity exists right now with organizations like yours, because as you just described, let's come back to this, we're in a region where we have tremendous entrepreneurial community. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a tremendous entrepreneurial community that's engaged in serving the government, we have the government that has technology needs, and we have this massive R&D establishment in the middle. And literally, organizations like MITRE or Applied Physics Lab up at uh, with Hopkins and, mm -hmm. and others, you're in this unique position. So as you sit there, Chuck, and you have, to use a defense term, you know, situational awareness, where are the threads and why are, why are the threads so compelling right now in the area of artificial intelligence, for example, or cybersecurity? Why is this now a moment that the... DC community really should be paying attention to these confluence of opportunities. Well, there's a uh, there's a great metaphor that's used sometimes to talk about the accelerating advances in artificial intelligence, N not just machine learning, but machine learning is a great example of that. 
and it's the second half of the chessboard. I don't know if you've heard that. Ray Kurzweil and other people use it. But it there's a, a legend that the, the person who developed the game of chess uh, was rewarded by the emperor or the king uh, with anything they wanted. And he said, well, I'm, I'm a humble man. Just give me one grain of rice on the first square, two on the second, four on the third, and so forth. And the emperor thought that was a sort of a paltry gift for such a great game, but but agreed. And then his his advisors came back nervously and said they were now getting to the second half of the chessboard. And I don't recall the volumes, but it's more than the annual output of the planet by the time you get pretty far down. So the point is that uh, rapid advances for a period of time seem kind of straightforward and just doubling. But if you keep doing that, all of a sudden you're getting huge increases each time. And what a lot of people would argue with artificial intelligence is that we're in the second half of the chessboard now and that the, the advances are accelerating. So we had uh, Deep Blue in 1997, first, first AI program to win in chess, beat a grandmaster in chess. Um, back then, Go was considered perhaps never, never going to be solved, never, never going to be tackled. Go the game. The go the Not game. Not go the, to, to go after you stop. You right, mean. right. Okay. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, Google DeepMind is now the world champion in Go. Uh, Watson uh, showed in Jeopardy uh, the ability to, to win in games that involve puns and, and natural language references. And then just last week, Carnegie Mellon demonstrated uh, AI knocking down another uh, barrier that a lot of people thought was going to take a long time, which was Texas No Limit Hold'em. So the point is there's this dramatically accelerating combination of capabilities that are feeding off each other. And uh, so the, the, the opportunities to sort of shape what, what a lot of people describe as a new industrial revolution, and in particular, how does it apply to government, which is a knowledge work organization at its heart, and how does government um, mitigate the risks and accelerate the, the opportunities in this rapidly evolving space? You know, it's interesting to me that as artificial intelligence, machine learning has, has developed the ability to see patterns and mimic more and more what humans do well, which is recognize patterns and make associations makes more and more jobs amenable to software. The technologists use games as a way to popularize, but I think in some ways trivialize it. So you say uh, technology beat someone in, in poker. Well, who cares? But the reality is, is poker's a game that you have so many different factors at play to get software to the point where they can understand bluffing and, and betting and so forth is not trivial. But here's the thing. As we get these technologies to the point, say, with autonomous cars, autonomous airplanes, or consumer software that will think for us and make our uh, world make more sense to us, the ethical dilemmas are enormous. And do you see that as the place where really your vision of .gov.edu and .com really comes together? Is AI going to force us to understand that policymaking is essential for technology to continue to grow? Absolutely. And, um, you know, a discussion that's been going on for a long time in the medical community is trying to strike the balance between overregulation that inhibits advances and maybe denies people the opportunity to get uh, some kind of treatment or, or pharmaceutical that could help them um, or being too sort of wild west and laissez-faire and then all kinds of bad stuff can happen. There's a balance to be struck there. And what that balance is for autonomy and artificial intelligence is not clear. It's very, it's very subtle. The thing I would say is that there's a growing attention to the, so there's a lot of attention being paid to the safety aspects of, for example, self-driving cars or, or UAVs. There is a growing amount of attention being paid 
to the corollary for artificial intelligence programs that make recommendations or help make decisions that are of high impact, loan approvals, uh, parole, uh, sentencing uh, decisions, et cetera. And, and the, the notion there is more of fairness. And the question is, no one would expect someone to deliberately bake into uh, a, a machine learning algorithm, for example, uh, bias. But it, there are a lot of examples where implicitly, accidentally, that's happened. Mm. Um, so how does, how does that uh, get regulated or adjudicated or audited is, a, is an open question. Uh, if we go too far and we say, you know, we're just not trusting this because there might be implicit bias in there, we're going to leave a lot of social benefits on the cutting room floor um, in terms of delivering service to the citizen from the government, from, from private industry, et cetera. If we ignore it, then we're going to bake into the system. and It'll be hard to unwind it, um, all kinds of unfairness or discrepancies or discrimination. So that's a, that's a, a, a real interesting challenge right now. Because I've heard of examples where software has uh, taken photos of people and analogized and said, oh, that's a picture of an animal mm -hmm. or a, a picture of a type of animal or uh, situations where they've looked at a bunch of pictures and said, oh, that's a picture of a boss when it's a man and it's a secretary when it's a woman. Software... Right gets trained by what it's exposed to. So bias bias happens. I guess the question, Chuck, is ultimately, don't we as a society need to understand that not making a decision is making a decision when it comes to AI? Yeah, of course. And and I think um, we could err on either side, of course, like anything. Well, so we can make a choice. That's what democracy is. Right. But we can, we can uh, I, in some cases, I'm more concerned about us deciding the juice is not worth the squeeze and just not pursuing the use of machine learning in certain areas because we have concern about maybe maybe it might not be fair or transparent. And as I said, I think that would leave a lot of great social opportunities on the cutting room floor. Um, but the real – so I'll give you an example of, of sort of like the visual example you gave about the, the uh, recognizing uh, people. You don't know what you don't know. You can only observe the responses to particular inputs – How's it going to work tomorrow with new inputs? That that's the that's the 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 concern about these decision making aids, um, but there are things that can be done, and this is where another place where the D.C. area I think has an advantage, because we have um, a lot of different communities, different sectors and domains that know a lot about this in the safety world. For example, we have the FAA here, we have NASA here, we have companies that support the FAA and NASA. We have all, all kinds of organizations, academic, government, and, and commercial that know a lot about safety cases, about how do I make a compelling case that this digital avionics system is safe. Um, there, that, that's not an exact analogy to what we just talked about, but there are a lot of lessons learned, best practices, and tools and techniques that we'd be foolish to, to ignore, that, you know, rather than starting from a clean slate. Well, this is obviously the beginning of a conversation that you and I will have many times over the coming year, either on the air here or in other places. And I do think this is a great opportunity for D.C. region and for the nation as a whole. I can't imagine a better place for these issues to be resolved than right here in the nation's capital. Chuck Howell, Chief Engineer for Intelligence Programs at MITRE. And we're glad to have him. Thanks again, Chuck. Thanks for your time. This was great. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington with Jonathan Aberman. Look, this is a time where it's more important than ever to stay focused on how to move things forward positively. We in the Washington, D.C. region get things done every day. This is more than just House of Cards, and this podcast is a reminder of that. 
If you believe that that is the way things should be, follow us at, at What's Working DC or direct messages with stories that you think need to be covered to spread the word of positivity that's so necessary in this current moment. And don't forget to tell your friends about our podcast. They can find it on iTunes. See you next time. Goodbye.